Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Incredible satellite images have been making the rounds the last couple of weeks, showing significant drops in air pollution in cities practicing social distancing during this COVID-19 pandemic. But is this improved air quality going to last? What about when you factor in extremely low fuel prices and the rollbacks to fuel emission standards by the Trump administration last week? Open your window or step out your door for a bit of this fresher air and join me for a conversation with Dr. Jacqueline Klopp. She's a research scholar and co-director of the Center for Sustainable Urban Development at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. We dove into the heaviness of the moment and what it all could mean for a new eco-economy of the future. Jackie, thank you so much for taking a breather with me, taking some time you know, to talk about all of these topics with regard to climate change and pollution, et cetera, et cetera, in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah, happy to be here, Kate. In this new normal where I'm working from home, are you working from home? Yes, absolutely. In New York City, which is the epicenter right now of our COVID crisis. When was the last time you left the house? Well, in honesty, I was out to support my farmer's market and it was a windy day. I wore a mask (laughs) and uh, it was a relief because before I was in the house for days and days and days. So it's got to be just terrifying. Yeah, I hear the constant sirens. I live near a a hospital and I feel a lot of sadness for what's going on out there. Fortunately, my direct family has not been impacted. So we're trying to be good and stay home like we're told to. It's it. Yes. Which we know is vital. Easier said than done sometimes. And I know, I think we both know the weight of the economic impacts of this, the, you know, the human cost of this pandemic. And I, I, do not want to this conversation to take away from any of that and the heaviness of that. But there have been some interesting things that have happened with regard to our air quality and policies, et cetera, while this has been going on as it relates to climate change. Yes, the COVID crisis has really been provoking a lot of interesting discussions around environmentalism more generally, but also about air pollution, which often doesn't get a lot of attention. And it's very unfortunate that we're having this discussion because our economies are shut down and not because we care about the 7 million people across the globe that die prematurely every year because of air pollution. But it is good that we're having the discussion. I think one of the things that really has triggered that conversation is the fact that we are getting these, you know, satellite images that are looking at different aspects of air pollution over major cities all around the world. And there's just been this stark visual difference from, you know, three months ago to now in cities where there have been lockdowns put in place, where this pandemic has taken over. Is is that kind of, I mean, it's not worth the cost, but is that a bit of a short-term benefit that we've seen from staying home? It is a short-term benefit, but, you know, we have to realize that 
shutting down our economy is clearly not the solution. We should be enjoying enjoying the clean air, but asking ourselves, why do we tolerate such dirty air for most of the time? And what do we need to do to get this nice clean air without shutting down our economy? So what kind of different economy do we need? And what do we need to prioritize in terms of incentives for our industry, for our transportation sector to have nice clean air and a a really vibrant economy at the same time. You know, it's it's so interesting. You're talking about, you know, our transportation and our use of fossil fuels when it was just last week whenever we got to hear about phase two of the Trump administration's plan to roll back Obama-era emission standards for vehicles. Now, back in September of last year, I believe, they rolled back the rule and 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 said basically states can't have their own standards, which is significant in a place like California that had very strict fuel economy standards and a push toward electric vehicles, things like that. And then here we are in the midst of this global pandemic. We're seeing a reduction in air pollution. It seems like this is just, okay, well, but whenever we all get back out there, we're going to pollute even more. And one of the reasons that I heard from the EPA was that they want to make sure trucks and SUVs are affordable for consumers. What do you make of all this? I think it's really callous, frankly. There has been an attempt to say raising these environmental issues is callous right now, but in fact, suggesting that we're going to increase air pollution, which, by the way, creates vulnerabilities to diseases like COVID. In the moment of crisis, we're going to take that opportunity, so we're going to actually reduce public health protections, is really stunning to me. And of course, you know that this has been a longer-term struggle, that this is something that this administration has wanted to do for some time. And I feel like they're callously using this crisis uh, to say, oh, you know, we want consumers to be able to access SUVs or bigger vehicles. And without even thinking about the public good, right? Another public health problem with these big vehicles, besides the fact that most poor folks can't afford them, by the way, Right. They're not cheap. No, they're not cheap. And they're all over New York City. We see them. Uh, Is that we've had an increase in traffic fatalities because these big vehicles, if you get hit by them, on top of the pollution you'll breathe in, are deadly. And so it's just a callous Mm -hmm. disregard for public health at a moment that we're in a public health crisis. So it's stunning to me, frankly. But I guess not surprising unfortunately, coming from this administration. The timing just seems like it could not be worse. But, you know, at the same time, you go and you fill up at the pump. And yesterday, we we paid $1.45 a gallon. Yeah. Which, you know, so we're in the midst of global pandemic, economic crisis. And part of that, you know, economic piece of it is that fuel prices have just plummeted. Is that going to have a longer term, you know, is that kind of going to boost some of these new regulations that 
the Trump administration is putting out and saying, hey, we're cars and or trucks and uh, SUVs. Now look how cheap your fuel is. You can totally afford to have one of these vehicles. Is that going to do more damage in the long run? Yeah, it, it, it will, uh, at least in the shorter term, I want to say, uh, for sure, when the economy gets moving and people are getting back to work, they will need to move around. And the truth is, in so many places, our cities are very car-centric, so they will need to drive. <laughs> and we have seen when car, uh, sorry, petroleum prices, gas prices go down, people are enticed to buy these bigger vehicles. On the other hand, we're in a major recession. So whether people can then actually afford these bigger vehicles <laughs> as we come out of the recession is probably questionable. So there's going to be a bunch of different countervailing factors. And I think it's very irresponsible, frankly, of the car companies to also promote these vehicles. And they promote it with this, you know, macho image, like you're super sexy and cool. You're like James Bond if you have one of these vehicles. And frankly, from a public health point of view and a climate point of view, these are these are terrible commodities to be buying. <laughs> Well, I, I live in the South. Let me just tell you what. <laughs> there are a lot of big tires, <laughs> a lot of big, a lot of big vehicles uh, in, in the U.S. South. That's for sure. And you're right. It, it totally has to do with this macho image. Yeah, you're from Grapevine originally. Is that correct? I am. I'm, Grapevine, Texas. Oh, I visited Grapevine, Texas, and it was it was fun because it was know my family of New Yorkers we don't own a car we travel everywhere public transit <laughs> and all these lovely people kept stopping and saying are you lost because we were walking <laughs> uh, you know and then my, my children uh, were fascinated by drive-through re uh, restaurants that's just oh really yeah which, you know, it shows how much we've sort of built cities around the idea that everyone's in a car. Yes. Yeah. And I live in Atlanta now. And, you know, our public transit here is not great. You have to have a vehicle unless you're going to or to or from the airport. It's not we don't have a practical system, which is another major challenge and perhaps a much longer conversation. <laughs> but I'm a little bit reminded of something that's been happening inside of certain communities for years and years now, coal mining towns, where that was really the major industry. And those, you know, coal mines have since shut down because no matter what anybody says, it's just not affordable anymore and they're closing down. And you end up with a lot of people without income. Now that's kind of playing out in this large scale where we're seeing these record unemployment numbers. And when you're in that position, your concern is getting food on the table. Your concern is not, am I doing the right things for the environment? I mean, do we just shelf the conversation on climate change and clean energy and et cetera, et cetera, until we make an economic recovery? Or is now the time to have that conversation? I think it's really important to deal with the crisis and people in distress right now. And as we reconstruct the economy, and we're going to have to do that, and more money is going to have to go into it, I think we have to 
prepare now for a very serious conversation about reorienting our economy. So we need to make it cleaner, but we need to take care also of these people in our small towns who have built in livelihoods and you know cultures for generations around things like coal mining, coal-powered uh, plants. And we can't have those discussions separately. And there's also another factor, by the way, which is that there's a lot of automation that's happening. I think, you know, this was raised in the presidential debates around, um, you know, guaranteed basic income because this is going to be a reality. Oh, yeah, we have an election this year. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, what this crisis has also shown us is the United States has a terrible social security system. You know, we didn't have paid sick leave in a pandemic. Having people work when they're sick just spreads the virus even more. They don't have universal health care, so that means that they're afraid to go get tested. Coal miners are going to have a much harder time because if they lose their job, which, like you say, that industry is dying, and, you know, they worry about how are they going to pay bills? How are they going to like you say, get health care, educate their children. But part of the reason that's so extreme in the United States, and the virus has taught us this, is that we have not taken care of our people. We have huge inequalities, and we haven't built better social safety networks. So in terms of environmentalism, you know, there is the movement towards Green New Deal idea, which is that a lot of these communities, like coal mining communities, are not only being adversely affected as we transition to a green energy future that we need to have, but they've also been the people who've suffered the most. I mean, you think about coal miners, they have like black lung disease. Many of them have died. Many of them are very sick. Many of them are the vulnerable population in this pandemic. And, you know, a green future means that we take care of them and think about how their communities can have new kinds of jobs in this transition. And we need to work with them. We need to work with each community that's adversely impacted to talk about like the, the benefits of having cleaner energy and a cleaner environment uh, and also why we need to expand you know, social network and also how we can work with them to come up with new jobs. So all of these things are really connected. And it, seem, it seems like it's just all happening at once. And sometimes it is too much, right? It's, so much, it's too much for our brains to handle, but maybe bite, 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 piece by piece, as we maybe down the line look toward recovery, it's a little more manageable for people to wrap their minds around. Yes, for sure. I mean, I, I think right now we have to take care of our people, and we're in an emergency situation in many parts of the country, including my own, and this thing is going to continue to spread, and we're going to have other epicenters in the country, so we have to take care of our people. But I think we need to have the conversations now, especially as, like, you and me, we're sitting in our house, we can talk to each other through Zoom or or, or some other online system. <laughs> and we need to be strategizing. And the reason I say that is you can already see the anti-human health, anti-human 
human protection, anti-environmentalism forces using the crisis to push through the very same policies that help get us into these kinds of public health crises. And so I think we need to try at this moment, for those of us who are not sick, to take care of those who are and to help each other, but at the same time have really serious conversations about how we're not going to let this rollback happen and how we're going to take lessons for things like climate change, which is already causing a lot of havoc. People die of flooding. We're moving into a really bad hurricane season. And so on top of it, we're going to have a climate-driven you know, set of disasters, possibly with COVID. So I think we owe it to these people who are suffering and to our children and our future of our country to have a discussion you know, when we're ready, but we should be preparing for a very serious conversation. <laughs> I think that is a beautiful note to leave people on and an important message for us to really drive home. Jackie, thank you so much for taking a few minutes away from our news feeds and our, and our families to, to have this conversation. It's really my pleasure, Kate. I hope you, you and your family and everyone out there stays safe and healthy. That's what we wish now. That's all we wish. <sighs> okay, so how is everyone holding up? Personally, I'm at almost four weeks at home, eternally grateful to have a job that I can record remotely and constantly concerned for the safety and well-being of my friends and family. And that includes my Warming Signs fam. Reach out. Connect with me on Twitter, at WeatherKate. We all need a little extra human interaction these days, and frankly, the bots on Twitter are really getting on my nerves. So check in, let me know how you're doing, what bigger questions are lurking in your mind, and I'll chat with you back here in two weeks. Another great episode to come, just in time for Earth Day. <laughs>